0: On today's episode of Sarah podcast, we get to know Madhu shalini Ayer. Currently, Madhu is a partner at Rocketship VC, a fund that invests globally, with having done deals in Germany, um, Canada, as well as Asia, and of course, uh, the Valley. Prior to working at Rocketship VC, Madhu has worked as the Chief Data Officer at Gojek, um, a huge, uh, fin- a huge decacorn in Southeast Asia as well as having worked as a uh, data scientist for Intuit, growing their QuickBooks platform to $300 million USD approximately. Um, we're really excited to talk to Madu today. So get uh, ready for an action-packed episode, and here we go. happy to have you here Madhu, and uh we'd love to uh get to know your story mindset
1: Thanks for for everyone uh on uh, you know on listening here this is Earl um yeah Madu is one of my my dearest friends um we were introduced I guess I don't know how many years ago Madu by a, a common friend a professor at Stanford Richard Dasher and you know Richard just said like you gotta meet Madu because she is passionate about similar things that you are and that is you know Uh, you know, global thinking, uh, a focus on Southeast Asia, a focus on really building and, uh, you know, supporting underrepresented entrepreneurs and, you know, very deep, uh, this technology and data background and, you know, you get to really be good friends. And since that point on, you know, Madhu and I, uh, you know, really talk about like, you know, how do we change the world, especially focused on, you know, uh, these parts, geographies, and also, you know, from Southeast Asia to data science, I think there's you know, no other person I think in the world that uh, you know is the combination of both uh, as good as Madhu. So thanks so much for for taking the time here.
2: No, thank you so much uh, for your kind words and for inviting me.
1: Cool. So Madhu, I guess uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess Madhu. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to hear more about you know, um, you know, your background. Um, you know, you know, what what have you been up to? You know, what is your current role now uh, at the VC fund?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think um, right now where I'm at is a culmination of sort of my entire background coming together. Um, uh, I'm with a VC fund. I'm a partner at Rocketship.vc, which is a $140 million fund with, uh, you know, $140 million AUM, uh, assets under management. Uh, The second fund, uh, which we just is 100 million and the first fund uh, was 40 million dollars the first fund was more experimental uh, in that that we sort of had uh, we started in 2014 um, you know saying that uh, you know we are going to be investing uh, in you know in a different way and disrupting VC um, and um, you know and to that end we said that we would be looking at uh, deal flow from the angle of data you know, the largest database or startup database in the world. And we started running a lot of algorithms on top to curate our own deal flow. Um, And second fund basically got to a hundred million dollars and we just raised it. Um, I joined uh, last year um, and I've been looking at exciting companies all over the world, Um, uh, sitting in the Bay Area in the Valley, Silicon Valley, and we're looking at, uh, you know, companies all over the world. And I think, you know, um, three things really came together for me in this fund, which is, you know, um, not just are we investing in our own backyard, which is the Valley and the US, but we're also investing. Second is that all of the other partners are also operators and entrepreneurs who have built very large startups. Um, uh, just like myself, uh, and thirdly, uh, we're all very data-oriented, and we've all sort of you know got deep background and expertise in data. Uh, so you know, I, I feel privileged to be part of uh, this group of people as we go out and find great companies using data. And uh, we're very agnostic investors, uh, and we also have—I uh, like to believe—democratized access uh, because we are approaching this problem uh, so differently in networks that we have. Uh, We are not really looking at any uh, location uh, constraints, you know, as we invest. And we're also uh, not really, uh, we don't really have any objective bias. Um, And when I mean, what I mean by objective bias is, you know, if you are a Asian who's studied in uh, Ivy League university in the US and you go back and start something in Indonesia or the Philippines, uh, that's not what, you know, we go after. Uh, We might, but it really has to come up from the data. Uh, and not what we think is, you know, the, the place to invest, uh, you know, marginalized, um, and diverse founders and all of that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I was, uh, looking at doing a little bit, of digging into rocket ship um, and, uh, seeing that you guys had, uh, some investments in Germany as well as, um, different parts of Asia too. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know when you you know people look at venture capital, it's a, it's it's a lot of um, they try to be sector focused or like uh, really thesis driven. But I love this thesis about having the data science really uh, propel you guys as a uh, investment. And um, I think the first question that I wanted to ask is, uh, as a partner at RocketShift BC, how do emerging markets, emerging market startups, particularly the Southeast Asian ecosystem? compared to uh, the U.S. or any other region? And maybe you can talk about what you see in founder mentality or uh, uh, things we don't know about Southeast Asian tech.
2: Absolutely. Um, So, you know, uh, when I said that we were agnostic investors and you saw the portfolio, um, we found something very interesting. Um, When we started this fund, uh, it was all about, uh, you know, finding uh, great companies uh, through data. Uh, there was never really any geography, any founder thesis. Uh, it was just whatever emerges on the screens, you know, as, as, uh, as we ran the models on this large database. What emerged in late 2016, um, very shockingly, was things outside the U.S. Uh, and in India. China, obviously, already was taken off. Uh, but in India, we uh, saw a huge trend um of uh, you know of uh, a a lot of activity around the three c's which is you know which is communication plus geo uh, had uh, you know um, gotten um Reliance Geo had basically uh, gotten very cheap data plans to tier two, tier three cities. And there were a hundred million new subscribers that came on, uh, which brought, you know, communication and WhatsApp became the biggest, uh, you know, biggest thing in India. Um, you know, and then, of course, there was content that was being consumed and then their commerce came and then payments and all of that arrived. Southeast Asia, in my opinion, uh, has also started, you know, a, a lot of trends have emerged in Southeast Asia. Uh, commerce, you know, like I said, the three C's uh, and uh, you know, I think that Southeast Asia and India are similar. In fact, Southeast Asia, India, LATAM, and many of these emerging markets are beginning to show up very strongly in our screens. They always have. uh, But now, you know, with much more um, velocity, we are able to see a lot of deals there. Um, Three things about Southeast Asia. One Southeast Asia is like India in that, that, uh, it is not really a homogeneous population. Uh, there are 600 million, uh, you know, uh, people in Southeast Asia, but it's not the same as Indonesia. It's not the same as Singapore. It's not the same as Vietnam or Thailand. So they're very heterogeneous markets, which are now clubbed into one umbrella, saying calling it Southeast Asia, which is also a lot like India and Latin, Latin America. You know, India is uh, one country, but, you know, so many different languages. The North is different. Every state is different. You know, there's different vernacular Um, you know, there and the tier one and tier two cities are very different, just like Southeast Asia, Uh, you know, and uh, so you have the state and in Southeast Asia in India, and you have that in the countries in Southeast Asia, and then you have the different languages, you know, the different cultures and so on Um, commerce, uh, you know, and many others really. Um, uh, One of the other things that I will say is that, uh, you know, in the last few years, we've seen incredibly strong founders in Southeast Asia. Um, and it's not just people that are going back from different Western countries you know uh, to start uh, things at home, but it's also just homegrown entrepreneurship uh, that's becoming more and more prevalent uh, in Southeast Asia and we see that in the founder quality in the founder quality as measured by the conversations that I'm having on ground
0: That's, that's really amazing um,
2: um, yeah yeah.
0: yeah think you, yeah you loved how you uh, phrased everything and it's really great to learn about Southeast Asian tech you know since I'm Filipino and have been to Southeast a- Southeast Asia but not so recently and uh, I think what I'm also curious about is what um is there like a like a specific niche within that uh, ecosystem that you think is uh, really growing and and uh, maybe in a few years doesn't have to it wouldn't be called emerging since it, you know reach success yeah. in some
2: ways? Yeah. You know, so I think that, um, you know, and and Dan, there were excellent comments in the beginning about the B2B uh, deep tech. You know, we look at it all uh, and, and as it com- comes to some of these, uh, you know, emerging in quotes markets, we are looking at a lot of B2C companies. Uh, but I think Southeast Asia and in India are certainly sort of start, starting to build tech for even the US in their B2B realms. Uh, but, Going into your specific question, and I just wanted to sort of you know put that out there, uh, but going into your specific question about what are we really seeing in uh, Southeast Asia as, as it bubbles up on our screens, um, we're seeing a lot of commerce and a lot of fintech activity. Now, we've obviously... COVID crisis that hit all of us, you know, in the world. Uh, And there were COVID tailwinds and COVID headwinds for every every region, every, uh, you know, geography, um, uh, every sector. Uh, And there were some sectors like travel that were hugely impacted. Uh, So everything is going to sort of be from that lens, you know, the post and the pre-COVID world. Um, But, uh, you know, in Southeast Asia, we're seeing fintech and commerce uh, and logistics uh, really sort of bubbling up. Um, And we are certainly excited by the, uh, you know, by the way these businesses are conducted for it anywhere in the world, because these are um, uh, this is a different population where, you know, if I I could just take an example of TikTok, you know, TikTok is short videos to be consumed, uh, you know, in a different way on your mobile phone. It's really not a Western centric or a, you know, a developed market. Um, uh, centric app, but it's even taken off here, and so there are, we are seeing trends like that. And so it was started outside of the US uh, or Europe. Uh, so we, which has such a huge audience, even here. So we are seeing a lot of activity in Southeast Asia that mimics the are you know, being developed for that population. Uh, And they are, you know, very easy to, uh, you know, because there's so many people who are, who are, who don't even have bank accounts. And so the way payments and new banks are being imagined there uh, is, I think, very futuristic, even for the West. And so there might be adopters in the West for it. Uh, you know after it's kind of taken off there, uh, which is why I think your point like emerging markets It might not be really true because you know technologies for the next generation might be built there because the, uh, the You know the leapfrogging uh, has been uh, has already been sort of, you know, is there already rather than here
0: Yeah I hope um, Yeah, I mean I hope to see see that uh, it's great how the region is um, you know, falling in love with uh, the innovation ecosystem. And I think what I wanted to talk about next was uh, I know I, I read um, you worked at Gojek, um, which is a really cool, in my understanding, uh, transportation startup, but it also focuses a lot on digital payments. You were there maybe. Um, could, would you be able to maybe give us some insight on what it was like to be at, a I guess, like at working for a unit, like growing the company and obviously You know, Gojek's a a fintech unicorn or a unicorn in general. What what was it like just uh, seeing things from a data perspective or just being in in that company?
2: Yeah, uh, so, you know, I joined Gojek at a very interesting time in Asia, in Southeast Asia. Uh, It was very early days uh, of the tech ecosystem uh, and the startup ecosystem in Southeast Asia then. Um, and uh, there were really no unicorns at the time that I joined. Uh, yeah. It was fairly, uh, you know, it was, it was very nascent. The market was very nascent. Um, the data science market and ecosystem was very nascent uh, in Southeast Asia at the time. Um, and um, so when I joined Gojek, um, you know, as their first chief data officer, I was on the board, I started the Singapore office. You know, I, I felt like um, there was just so many, um, uh, I mean, it was, it was a lot of learnings in the sense that data science as a field was very um you know it was very new, and technology as a field uh, in Southeast Asia was sort of just you know uh, just coming up um, um, so it was a very it, it was a, it was a learning time um, and the ecosystem truly grew well while I was there. Um, we raised five fifty million dollars um, became a unicorn um, and uh, one of the other things is that you know we grew to having one million transactions per day. Wow. Go car and go, uh, you know, go bike. Yeah. And so, you know, as the data needs just exploded. So we were really building an airplane as we were flying it. So, uh, and as I think back, uh, we built GoPay uh, while I was there. And I remember, you know, hearing, uh, you know, hearing from Nadeem, uh, you know, that we had more transactions than the, Uh, the Bank of Indonesia. And so we were measuring in the data science, you know, the data orgs, of course, uh, and we had more transactions in the Bank of Indonesia. So, you know, it was a very um, uh, sort of a gratifying time, if you will, uh, to see the impact of what was getting built uh, while at an organization uh, and seeing the impact uh, on the ground and as a country. Uh, You know, at one time, go food, uh, go pay, uh, you know, go ride, uh, it was just um, pervasive, and when you walked around in the streets of Jakarta, uh, the amount of traffic and the you know and that you saw with the Gojek helmets and whatnot, you know, you really could sort of viscerally see an impact of technology and data.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I really want to uh, experience a Gojek and just see what that <laughs> seems seems like a lot of fun. Um, going off of that, uh, what what is it like emotionally? I guess just trying to build something into a unicorn, and I mean. If you can comment on what it was like to achieve that growth. Uh, we'd love to hear what you, what you saw there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, so uh, other companies that, you know, have done really well as well before even go check, you know, I was at Intuit uh, building um, a FinTech product, uh, which, you know, it was called QuickBooks financing at the time. Uh, you know, 2010, 2011 uh, data was uh, you know uh, all pervasive. Um, you know, we were just kind of going. Even TurboTax, you know, had gone into just online. You know, recently, you know, it was it was a recent phenomenon for Intuit, it. Uh, not too many years before, you know, um, before that, that it had become online. We were seeing a ton of data on the cloud uh, and we thought that, you know, that's when fintech as an entire industry was emerging. Cabbage had started. Lending Club had, you know, was there on deck. So the entire premise was how do you get working capital, uh, you know, using data? Uh, to the QuickBooks customers. And we were able to grow that platform into $250 million lent. Uh, And I saw that before, you know, I went to Southeast Asia. Um, And, uh, you know, emotionally, these rides, all of these were, um, as when you are in them, you're never able to reflect truly because you're just kind of, like I said, you're, you're flying the airplane, you're just building it, you know, and you don't really have time to sort of even experience it properly because every day is frantic. Sure. Um, it has been in every startup that I've been is just been frantic and it's survival and it's you know it's the teams and and whatnot great people that I've worked with throughout my life uh, it, I've been blessed um, to have worked with these you know amazing founders and colleagues and teams. Uh but uh, you know I think uh, the emotional part comes later as you reflect back on the days uh, but you know frantic is what I will say. <laughs> <in> ah. one- <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess, Madhu, you know, I I think a a lot of people are curious, right? Um, You know, it it seems that you have this combination of, you know, data, technology, empathy. Um, Yeah, tell us where, uh, you know, I guess if you had to describe your startup mindset, what would that be? And where did that come from? Tell us about, you know, the early days of Madhu and how did you discover that you were an entrepreneurial person?
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think uh, that's such a great question. Earl. You know, I mean, um, I think that, you know, I did my uh, I, I was born in India uh, and I was raised in Singapore. I went to, went to high school in Singapore. Uh, I went to university in Sydney um, and, uh, you know, did my computer engineering there. And I did a lot of math while I was doing my engineering degree. Uh, so EECS and computer engineering um, with a lot of math thrown in thrown in, came into the US and really loved applied math and wanted to sort of drill down on that, uh, which is what led me to becoming a scientist. I was a senior scientist at a company called Exponent in Menlo Park, which was started by a bunch of Stanford folks. Um, and, you know, it had a statistics and data sciences practice. And, you know, I was looking at a lot of it was it was really, you know, a lot of clients uh, uh, that came to us for consulting assignments. And so, you know, it was really sort of like getting a PhD in statistics. Almost. It was a, it was a practice full of, you know, PhD statisticians, uh, and, uh, you know, and I was working with them, um, and, and really, uh, you know, looking at product analytics and, and analytics, uh, and honing in on that, that's when, you know, the bubble around, uh, in, and I wasn't at all, and this was before data science, the word was coined. Um, and, uh, begin to begin to sort of just go to you know r was at the time a prevalent language begin to go to these r meetups and you know and because i was using it uh, and ingesting large data You know, objects. Even this is pre-Python days. You know, Um, and we all knew that data was just sort of exploding around us. Uh, And the late 2000s, if you will, uh, you know, I um, I began to meet a lot of very interesting entrepreneurs and founders in the Valley uh, in 2006, seven, eight, uh, seeing the uh, you know the effects of building really a data-driven product. And that was when I think, you know, my, the, the, the beginnings and the saplings of, uh, you know, of how can you use data to build, not just solve problems, but now to build products started, you know, entering my head, which is the reason I then moved from Exponent as a senior scientist to Intuit. Um, and, uh, you know, because I wanted to work with products and, and see how I can influence my career as a scientist uh, focused on data. Uh, to build these products. Uh, and um, those meetups is LinkedIn, for example, you know, and how they were using data, which was just down the road from uh, from Intuiten as the word data science got coined, uh, you know, and I was a data scientist building this QuickBooks financing product, uh, many of those conversations, uh, you know, have uh, had a huge impact on me. And, and my startup mindset really has always been deeply data-driven, uh, which is why, you know, I, when I started, I said, look, even to this day, you know, the culmination of the entire journey of the saplings of how do you use data to build large startups has now culminated into how do you use data to invest in great startups? startups
0: right yeah something that's i I mean i've I've been wondering lately has been uh what's it been like investing without per se meeting the founders in person and i know you've probably been used to that right with uh going into the whole global investing scene Yeah, yeah um just wanted ideas and perspective there
2: totally i think one of the things that i'll say is that um uh you know rocket ship is an, is one of, you know, is a community of VCs. We've actually invested since 2014 um, in global startups without actually ever meeting many of the founders that we have invested in. We've had Zoom meetings. Uh, we've used other video conferences to sort of find these uh, startups and talk to these founders. Um, so, you know, it was not a very new world to us as the pandemic arrived. And we were now finding ourselves in a state where, you know, uh, we were doing more of the same, whereas everybody else, all the other colleagues that we had on Sandhill and San Francisco and other parts of the world were, uh, you know, coming to this new reality of investing in a new, very lucky uh, in sort of doing more of the same and nothing much has changed for us really.
1: Great. Um, Madhu, I guess a, a question, um, you know, uh, really for me is, you know, I mean, I guess, tell us more about, I guess, your, um, you know, early life, you know, growing up in in, in India and in Singapore, um, were there influences during that time that kind of led you towards a path? I mean, you know, just moving, let's say, from Singapore to Australia, I'm sure that would be already a, a big decision. And then moving from Australia to the United States is another big decision, right? Like, okay. how okay. did you get that, like, spirit of risk-taking just because a lot of people, um, in the world, right, uh, kind of always are reliant on, you know, their comfort zone of staying put and seeing what's just, uh, you know, I guess, comfortable, right? Right, right. Yeah. No,
2: Earl, I think that's such a uh, insightful question. Uh, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I am a believer that, um, you know, your early environment, one's early environment Makes a person's risk taking later in life, you know. Uh, yeah, I think I think it defines you, you know, especially as you uh, in your risk taking. Um, and I believe that um, my dad uh, was in the Indian Air Force. He was a he was an officer in the Indian Air Force. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and uh, so you know, he uh, he was a wing commander, and uh, we moved from one city to the other in India, uh, and these were really remote bubbles um you know because the air force station was always you know many kilometers 200 kilometers away from the you know from uh, from a real city in india and we moved every two years um and uh you know i think uh, that uh, has always sort of um, made me uh, you know, adapt to new situations and new friends and, you know, and, uh, and really new schools uh, every couple of years. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that became a, a, I think that has under sort of underpinned my, uh, you know, adaptability and flexibility and, and wanting to sort of explore myself further. Um, uh, I met some very, very great, you know, I, I've met some great mentors along the way and made great friends Uh, And I'm talking about my later life, of course. Um, uh, But, you know, this adaptability and flexibility uh, has been an underpinning of my early years. One of the other things that I'll say, which, you know, perhaps is not relevant, but, you know, it might be, is that many of the valley... Uh, entrepreneurs, Vinod Khosla, for example, his dad, you know, was in the Indian army. Uh, mm. and he had, a, he had a similar upbringing, Nikesh Arora from the Palo Alto Networks, you know, soft banks investor. His father was also in the Indian Air Force. Mm. Uh, so, so I've seen sort of, you know, a lot of the people who grew up in this defense environment, uh, you know, um, in the valley, you know, and it's, it's a similar at all i'm not trying to highlight the statistic but anecdotally it's interesting to see
1: yeah no i think this is uh this is great i mean i'm not think like yeah i mean will uh you know i guess people who have uh you know traveled early on in their life uh really uh you know w- you know maybe there's that spirit of adventure or risk-taking or maybe just adaptability right like i think you know i never i, I mean that's an amazing story of you know i guess your early childhood uh i guess Madhu. Um, yeah, I guess Dan, uh, you know, and I always ask these kind of uh, three three big questions in the end of uh, of the segment, right? And you know, and maybe the first one we'll kind of dive into this is, you know, um, you know, if you had to explain, uh, I guess, to um, to our listeners, um, what is your personal startup mindset uh, that you maybe you can explain in one to two sentences?
2: Yeah, I think. Um you know and uh, i mean i i've completely not uh, prepared for this so this is going to be a very very uh, you know organic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but i think one of the things that i will say is that um a laser focus on the product uh, and the cu- customer and the end consumer um you know that is um i have you know i've i've seen that that seldom fails as you're building a product Uh, that's uh, you know uh, I think one thing that really takes you very far I've seen that at Intuit I've seen that at Gojek I've seen that at um, Ethos Lending I've seen that at many other startups that I've advised Um, uh, and I'm actually now beginning to see it in the portfolio companies that we have and the companies that we speak to Uh, this founder mentality of just kind of being hyper focused on the end consumer as you build your product
0: that's awesome Um... Uh, going to follow up on that. Uh, if you were to give somebody advice who just wants to start in making their own startup or entrepreneurship in general, uh, what do you generally tell them?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I I tell them that this is you know there's nothing sexy about being an entrepreneur, uh, or, right. an entrepreneur or being in this ecosystem. You know, it's it's a lot of uh, it's it's a lot more hard work. <laughs> And it's a lot more, you know, and it's a lot, you know, be prepared for a lot of early failures. Be prepared for, you know, for a tremendous amount of sort of headwinds uh, and be prepared to be the only voice in a relentless sort of pursuit of something which only, you know, you can carry through. Um, And it's definitely not an easy road, but uh, which is why I said, you know, belief, uh, self-belief and belief in the product and our focus is what's going to be the, you Know the thing that's going to carry anyone through this very difficult and lonely journey,
1: and I guess Madhu, um, piggybacking on that, and one of our main questions is you know, um, you look by looking back, right? And you know, you talk to Madhu who is in Australia, right, and just graduating <laughs> uh, from yep. computer engineering, yeah, uh, and you're Madhu now and present. What advice would you give that Madhu in Australia? Uh, to discover her own startup mindset and her own journey towards life?
2: Totally. Um, You know, I've, I've, uh, I think that's such a, yeah, again, great question. You know, I I think that um, we all have to learn by making mistakes. And so, you know, I, I I would really, uh, you know, I'd really sort of tell myself uh, my, my younger self uh, to get, prepared to weather it's really a, a person is made on how they weather their mistakes and, you know, how they weather the storms after you've made mistakes, uh, you know, the ability to get up and, uh, and dust yourself off. Uh, and, and then again, sort of rise is ultimately what makes, you know, uh, you know, a resilient person and a person, you know, it, it makes one different from the other, uh, is how do you deal with your difficult times? And, and um, yeah. So I, I would tell my younger self to deal with mistakes, you know, uh, mm-hmm. eh, you know, if, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but, you know, uh, I think one of the biggest things that uh, founders and, and everybody, uh, you know, in the technology, eh, anywhere in the world, I think, how do you deal with failure, and you are, go. everyone goes through a lot of failure. Uh, anyone who says they don't, you know, is either sort of self-delusional or is lying or is, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, that's what I'd say to myself. Deal with failures better, and you know, your ability to be a better person is how you deal with your failures, not
1: your successes.
0: That's that's really great advice. Um, I think one or two more questions left, but uh, so next one is um, what? Uh, what's your, what's your favorite book, or what book are you reading presently that? you know, you just enjoy and is somewhat related to your journey in entrepreneurship, I guess.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I've read so many books and, uh, and I'll say that, uh, you know, many of them have sort of left deep impressions on me. Uh, But, uh, you know, I have now started enjoying in the TikTok fashion is like you know fast digestible information very quickly, um, and so you know I love reading blogs uh, and I love reading uh, you know and, and there are many blogs that I read, uh, but um, you know I I've, I've actually just truly enjoyed myself um, reading uh, you know in a blog that I'm not able to remember. But one thing I do tell everyone is that it's just so important to be uh, for me personally in my startup journey is to see different stories. And so while I love blogs and while I love books, and I have so many that I read, uh, and I'm an avid reader, uh, what I truly enjoy is consuming news. And, uh, you know, uh, I I start my day with, uh, you know, with the financial uh, papers to see how the stocks are doing. I, you know, I like to read about All of the startups that are, you know, that are sort of making waves across the world. So, you know, I like to read Tech in Asia, E27, Crunch, you know, and all of the other publications here. And that's how I really like to start my day. And that's, I think, you know, what really gives me an insight into the pulse of what's going on. Uh, And I think that no blog or no book really matches the, um, you know, the current sort of consumption of a vast amount of data. Uh, you know, and so I am data driven. So in the, at the end of the day, I, I, I like to read these publications to sort of get, you know, myself oriented with what's going on and have a pulse around the world.
0: That's amazing. Um, I think that is about all the questions we had for you today. But um, if anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with Rocketship BC, how can they uh, find you or contact you?
2: Totally. Uh, my LinkedIn page is always open. Um, uh, we uh, anyone any uh, we are always interested in talking to inbounds as well. Uh, and so inbound at rocketship.vc. uh, If you're a founder, uh, please write to us. Uh, we always love to hear about what people are building. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, yeah,
0: to see good ideas. Cool. Um, anything from your end,
1: No, Madhu. Again, uh, it's been a pleasure to having you here and the. Uh, the podcast and our interview here and uh, yeah we learned a lot and uh, uh, you know i think you know if there is again uh, one person that i think is this intersection of you know, deep empathy with the consumer with a data driven approach uh, and then really is interested to invest in you know, entrepreneurs from everywhere around the world. Uh, you're the first person that I think about. So thanks so much for making uh, your valuable time for us in the Startup Mindset podcast. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. That does it for another episode of the Startup Mindsets podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to follow us on any of our social media pages, it's a Startup Mindsets podcast on Instagram. And just search up Startup Mindsets on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, we're getting closer to finishing this book um can't wait to uh talk to you guys again peace